What people want is to be heard. They not necessarily, they wish they could change things, but I think what they just want is to be heard, just to be heard, just to, just to have their voices heard. And then whatever happens later, whatever. I don't think it goes into, into really, wow, we're going to create a movement and change things. You are listening to Geekdom in Pals. Hello and welcome back. My name is Guy Hassan and today I have a very exciting episode for you. Before I get to it, I'm recording this in video, so I may make some mistakes, which I will not edit out because I want this to be uh, authentic, okay? So I, want, I don't want the video to be cut. So sound quality is slightly uh, less good than my usual intros, but uh, the point is to get episodes of the podcast also out in video, not just in sound, to our YouTube. So more news about our YouTube channel soon. Keep your eye out for Geekdom in Pals on YouTube. Now, Geekdom in Pals comes out three times a week on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And my aim is to highlight people, creators, artists, geeks, fans, in the geek world, which are not usually highlighted, but are hopefully amazing. Like today, our guest today is Cristina Jurado. She is a Spanish science fiction and fantasy author. She has, a short, she has short stories, novels. She's a winner of the Ignotus Awards and is editor of the Apex Book of World SF, which is how I found her. Now she's also editing other anthologies for authors which are outside the regular American, Canada, US countries we used to, UK. America, Canada, UK. What you will hear today is amazing insight into world science fiction and fantasy. We'll hear about small publishers which are publishing anthologies no one would have even dared to publish a few years ago. We'll talk about authors who want and need to get their voices heard in oppressive regimes. We'll hear about trends in world science fiction and fantasy. And there's just so much more. We talked for almost an hour and there was so much more to cover. I asked her on the spot to return in a few weeks. Hopefully that'll work out. This is an amazing episode. I love it so much. I hope you enjoy it just as well. We begin the episode uh, by first talking about why she was delayed because her husband, her husband reported back from the flight uh, that he was okay and everything was okay. And I kept it in because it was interesting and it led into uh, a fascinating part of our conversation. So enjoy. He, he just called me and I was like telling, trying to tell him, I'm sorry, I have to jump into a call. Um, but he just wanted to let me know he, he arrived safe and he was traveling from one city to the next, from, from Riyadh to Jeddah. So <laughs> very sorry, sorry about that. No problem. It's very important. It's more important that you know he's okay. No, no, it's, I mean, it's just that he's stuck there. He, I mean, they close borders. It's kind of difficult. I mean, he can get out, but it's difficult to come, to come back there. Is it because so, of the corona? Yeah. yeah, yeah. They have a lot of restrictions. They've been closing for, for quite some time. Uh, but right now, thank God, uh, everybody, you know, all of us at home are vaccinated, even our children. So still... Uh, they they have some uh, apart from the PC. Well, no, all airlines now. Well, most of airlines ask for PCRs just to make sure that you know you're you're not sick and everything. And then um, 
if you're vaccinated, you don't have to quarantine. But for some reason, because Dubai is a hub, um, uh, they're worried about transit and, and, and connections and stuff. So still, if you're coming directly from Dubai into Saudi Arabia, you had to quarantine in a government hotel. <laughs> so it, it was kind of crazy. And uh, yeah, we, we people had to go via Bahrain, spend 14 days in Bahrain and then go there. So it was, oh, I mean, <laughs> what can I tell you? I mean, I'm sure that traveling to, to your country is also difficult many times. So I knew uh, a guy who came, his father, before the, like, when the corona thing was just starting oh. and countries were beginning to close but haven't yet. His mm -hmm. he was in Australia. His father died in Israel. He found a way to travel between, you know, from this country, this to the, and then he had to stay for a few days. And he was looking at what countries are closing because there are kids waiting for him back home. And he yeah. didn't want to be in quarantine for two weeks when coming back. Yeah. So he had to, like, he just left at the last minute and he found a way to zigzag between countries and get back. I know it's really difficult in our days, but thank God. I hope that everything goes better with the vaccination. I, I heard that in Israel is going really well too, like in, in the United Arab Emirates. It's a couple of countries that are very advanced into, into vaccinating everybody. The kids now are getting vaccinated. Uh, so, yeah, we had a huge percentage that got vaccinated. Absolutely. Uh, that yeah. got vaccinated. Uh, I was among them. I was the f one of the first ones in my age. Like, as soon as it was Ooh, cleared, okay. I went to. Uh, are, you, are you guys getting a booster now? I heard. There's that talk about a booster. I'm not sure yet uh, what's yeah. happening with that, but I'm sure. We just um, got our teenage sons fully vaccinated, second dose. Good. So we can hopefully travel back to Spain this summer to see our, my family. Uh, because we, say uh, we survived the plane. <laughs> we survived the world plane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's crazy. And then my, the family of my husband, which is my husband's from Lebanon, well, French and Lebanon. We've seen them. They have been able to come. But uh, so it's closer. But we're not going to Lebanon anytime soon. It's, the situation is horrible, horrible. Yeah. So, but, but again. Um, but I, I can tell you, I, I have a feeling that as people of science fiction and fantasy, hmm. we've thought about these things for decades now. And we've, been, we've read books about it, or seen movies about it. And yeah. we also know there's another one coming. This is like yes. easy stuff. There's more stuff that could happen. We got off easy. It's so funny that you mentioned that because I, you're going to laugh, but I wrote a book which just came out. I don't have it with me, the physical copy, because it just came out of the, the, the printer and it's waiting for me in Spain when I go now in the summer to get it. I, I asked the publisher to send it to, to my mother, my, my family there. Uh, and uh, believe it or not, I wrote it. So it's, it's actually a reversible, like a flip book. When you open in one side, it's one, one story. And when you open the other side, it's another story in the same universe. And the mm -hmm. funny thing is, it's about, it's called From Orange to Blue, the first one, and Bionauts, the second one. And it's about... Uh, uh, 
uh, human beings coming from uh, nobody knows where in, in generational uh, uh, ships coming into into this uh, earth and as the refugees they're trying to find a place to stay because they're looking they're searching they've been searching for a viable planet for a long long time and they they have clean energy clean sources of energy that they can provide to the people on earth but when they meet people on earth the problem is that they bring with them germs against which we don't have any defenses. Mm -hmm. So there is a pandemic. 99% <laughs> of the, the people, the population on earth dies. And back then when I wrote it, it thought, I thought it was kind of like science fiction fantasy, fantasy kind of thing because it's not never happens, right? Well, it's and, the story of South America, of America actually. Exactly. Oh, yeah. And, and it's funny that you mentioned that because I, I thought about that when I was read, uh, writing it. I thought of what my people, <laughs> Spaniards, uh, when we went to America, what we did to, to the people there, exactly that. So it happened before. But so I thought, I always thought, well, if we encounter intelligence or anybody who comes out of space, they would probably <laughs> bring with them all kinds of things uh, that could hurt us i mean we don't know what's what's out there right mm -hmm. and so in my in my book i speak about also social distances these people who come from nobody knows where um they're they're fully humans they're exactly like people from 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 earth but their society has evolved in a different way they don't touch each other they don't even speak they have a different way to communicate because um and everything anything could be con, con you could contaminate somebody else by just touching or by just speaking to them, and you can use too much uh, oxygen. So the whole the whole uh, society is different, and this is one of the things that you were saying. We were imagining things few years ago that now, with social distance and all the things that we're doing, now it's becoming realism. It's so amazing, and I always say that one of the reasons what I think that science fiction and also why not fantasy and horror um, authors are so, so important in our society is because we are able to imagine things. If you want to build the future, you have to be able to imagine it first. You have to create narratives that uh, allow you to project yourself into the future or even into alternative presence. <laughs> so that's why I think it's so important what we do. Uh, not you just you don't just need scientists in in to progress. You also need writers, authors. Yeah, there's the famous book about social distancing by Asimov about uh, was it the Naked Sun? I think about Aurora. Uh, what I think it was the second robot book. I don't remember. Where everyone that. lived like kilometers apart from the other people, mm. so mm -hmm. everyone was alone. Uh -huh. There was no distance, there was massive social distancing. Not because of a plague, but because of social norms. Yes. Uh -huh. So let's get into the subject where we, I, I'm going to keep this in, by the way, if it's okay with you. Yeah. I think it's very interesting. Um, but before that, I want to know how to pronounce your name. Cristina Jurado. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 sometimes people say jurado and it's fine. 
Uh, but yeah, you 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 have a great pronunciation. I'm so so so, so surprised. Okay, I'm happy I got it right. Well, <laughs> I have all those sounds anyway in my language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a ha, yeah. yeah. So okay. So we've discussed, you know, quite a bit already. But can you tell us a little bit about where you come from, like, like how yeah. how you got here? Yeah, that's a good question. I I ask myself sometimes how do, how the hell I got here. And, well, and I am an author. I am here is Dubai, the United Arab Emirates. I live here in Dubai since almost thirteen years now. But before, I am originally from Spain. And I lived most of my adult life outside of my country. I lived first in Scotland, then in the US, where I studied there for a while and got married with my husband, who's French from Lebanese origins. <laughs> and then we lived in Paris and then we came here. So I've been living all over in three continents. Uh, we speak four languages at home. This is like <laughs> very strange. It's, it's we, speak, we speak English mainly, uh, but my husband also speaks Spanish. So if I speak Spanish to the kids, he understands perfectly. Mm -hmm. uh, my kids are going to school in the French system since they were toddlers. So this French is the language we use for anything related to academics. And also we watch TV in, in French, sorry, French. Mm -hmm. So they go to the French school. And then because we live in the United Arab Emirates, it's mandatory that every student learns Arabic. And also my the family of my husband speaks Arabic, the Lebanese Arabic, which I, I don't speak fluently at all. I understand a little bit, but it's very difficult. So <laughs> I, I understand enough to know if they're talking about me. But <laughs> no, no, no. I know, you know, things related to food and everyday life and things like that. And, uh, and I, I had to learn when I was little Basque, Euskera, which is a, a language that we, you speak in the Basque country in the north of Spain, because I grew up in the north, in between the north and the south. So, but I never really spoken this language with anybody because I don't have opportunity. So um, my case is kind of funny because, or unusual, I, I wouldn't say funny, unusual, because I write mainly in Spanish, but I also write in English, which means that sometimes I get published, mainly I get published in Spain, but sometimes I get published outside of Spain. And more and more in this, uh, the last few months, I've been having um, um, some, some uh, opportunities to publish in other languages, not just in English, but in Romanian and in Chinese. So, <laughs> you had a Japanese experience? No, not Japanese yet. What is what? What is the name? Is it after Romanian? What did you say? Chinese. 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 So, so the I, Chinese experience. What is it, it like to uh, to to see to to not be able to read your own name? I don't know yet because I I, I don't have it. I, I was I signed I signed the contract, but I had don't I don't have the text with me. I guess I have to. You know, just I think I have a, I have a friend uh, who who is a translator from Chinese into Spanish. I probably will send it to him, and would ask him, Javier, can you tell me <laughs> what do you think? 
because he can also read the, the story in Spanish and understand. And I'm not sure if they're translating it directly from Spanish into Chinese or they're going to do it from English into Chinese because it's a story that I, I published in Strange Horizons. Strange Horizons has a special issue called Samovar. Uh, it's like a, a quatrimestral uh, or every quarter uh, comes out and it's, it focuses on translations. So I published in the last April uh, my story, Second Death of the Father. And it's very strange because it's a horror story, kind of. <laughs> it's not a science fiction story at all. And I always had the impression that the Chinese market was um, very eager to publish uh, science fiction, not, not so much horror. So when they asked me to translate this one in particular, I said, yeah, sure. But I was like, why do they want this one? I have no idea. But anyhow, it's, it's a good story, but it's very sad because it has to do with death and stuff. So I'm just super happy. I, I really, I think it's a great opportunity for me to be known in different, in different languages. And I'm looking forward to get it, trans, to get everything translated in, in all the languages possible. I'm super happy. Can I tell you a couple of stories about it? A story of mine was recently translated to Japanese and you get the thing. Wow. It really is something you can't, you can't read your own name, which is, but you yeah. don't need a person for that today. You can just use a phone and you can Google Translate and see roughly yeah. what it says. Yes. Yeah. But before that, you know, Russian, I can at least read most of the letters. And uh, oh. Italian, I can read without understanding, but I, I know it is. And German, same thing. And French, same thing. And Spanish, same thing. Yeah. Uh, but I, I did get a Greek translation once. And, and, and I got it when I was sitting in a room full of mathematicians. So, so we were all looking at the text and said, okay, so this is delta, this is theta, this is pi, this is phi, this, because you know the letters for math, you know the Greek letters. And we tried yeah. to make sense of it back before okay. the translation, and we couldn't. Wow. Okay, very that's very fun. interesting. <laughs> so, you, you, so you can also speak many languages I, or I, understand. I, I speak two, and I'm learning uh, French. Très bien, on peut parler en français alors. <laughs> Un petit peu. I also can understand Italian and Portuguese. I can read in Portuguese. Uh, and I really want to learn Catalan. I, I understand it, but I, want, I really want to learn because they're doing a lot of things in Catalan right now in science fiction. They're translating a lot. It's very, very interesting. What, what are happening. they doing? There is a lot of uh, small uh, publishers who are translating uh, stories directly into Catalan. Like normally, thing is, uh, they wait until something is translated into Spanish and then they translate from they translate into Catalan. Right now, that's it. They go in directly to the source. Could be English, could be French, could be German. I don't know. And they translate it directly into Catalan. So they are becoming one of the more more advanced in terms of. Uh, trying to promote their local uh, language and, and, and try not, and that I think also helps um, local authors who write into in Catalan to also think, hey, we can also write our stories of science fiction in Catalan. We don't have to do it in Spanish. We can, I mean, we could, but we can do it also in Catalan. We don't have to 
constrain ourselves into just one language. We can explore other things. And I think that's beautiful. And that's what makes, that's why I love literature because I think it's a great universal language in itself, the concept of it. So everybody can use their language in their local language. It's like Spanish from South America. I don't like to speak to, to speak South America. I, I, I like to speak the Americas. So the Spanish that is spoken in the Americas, because there's many Americas, um, uh, it's beautiful and it's not necessarily the one we speak in Spain. But for the longest part, we Spaniards thought, no, 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 the Spanish from Spain is the, the standard, the great, the, you know, everything has to be translated in our version of the Spanish. And I think it's really, really wrong. And I'm so glad that now there's so many uh, authors, female and male authors from the Americas who write in Spanish, in their own versions of Spanish, and they're having a great success, like, uh, I don't know, like Samantha Schwelin, uh, Mariana Enriquez, um, so many people. And I am so happy that this is happening and their, their, their literature is recognized. I was. I have a few questions on it because yeah. there's so many questions. <laughs> I, I'll keep them one at a time because okay. um, I I was in Spain like 15 years ago or something, yeah. uh, and um, it's part of And one of the problems they had that everyone has in the smaller countries. Yeah, painful is in smaller countries. Like the US is a big country for science fiction fantasy. And um, the so is that you never have enough readers. Hmm. So you can't you can't be popular. So like in Israel, for example, like Dune historically is the most is the best selling store book, and it sold like 1,500 copies or something. Yeah. Um, which is really tiny. So people can't get really, can't live off their art. And publishers yep. don't really want to publish science fiction and fantasy, especially if it's not a famous author, you know. Mm -hmm. If you publish Stephen King, you know, people will buy it. Yeah. If you publish Asimov, people will buy it. Mm -hmm. um, so that kind of problem is on the one hand, you can't get published uh, or you, and you can't live off it. And on the other hand, there's no, when there is monetary incentive for people to, to get money for their art, more people write, mm -hmm. uh, which I've seen. And mm -hmm. you say there are a lot of, the picture you, you say now, I haven't been around in the world science fiction uh, since so much over the last 10 years, so it must have really changed. Um, you know, only like one here and one in this country and one in this country and one good one in this country. And you're saying that has changed. So why and uh, how? I think it is changing. First of all, I think audiovisual media had a, a huge impact in making some of the stories that were uh, being created and did develop be very, very popular. Everybody talks about Game of Thrones. But for example, in Spain, what happened is that the publishing company who owned the rights for the translation of Game of Thrones was Higamesh at the time. I think now things have changed, but at the time was Higamesh in the beginning when J.R.R. Martin was no known 
it was known maybe in, in the US and in the Anglo-Saxon market, but not, not at all in, in Spain, for example, or, or in non-Anglophone Europe. They brought, uh, they bought the, the rights and they sold so many, many books that they could create later, um, roughly at the same time, uh, the biggest, uh, what is now the biggest, uh, science fiction, fantasy, and horror, and I think role games uh, uh, library in Europe. It's called Libreria Gigamesh in Barcelona, which I recommend everybody to go. Uh, it's a huge place, which it's not just a, 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 a library. It's also a place where you can be presented, you can present, you can launch your books. You could have people gathering for such events. So it's it's a fantastic place to to you know to to connect with people, readers and authors, and projects come up, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And they also have um, a, a publishing company. So you see, things started to work out when 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 they cross over other media, and now we have, for example, specifically in Spain, what happened is that there are maybe uh, like I, I don't know exactly the number I, I, I wouldn't give the number but there are a lot of small publishing companies some of them very very specialized for example Crononauta is specialized in science fiction and fantasy only by female author or non-binary authors just because wants to give voice to a part of the authorship that it was not heard before um, then you have other. Let me on send. Can you send me the link for that book? Sure, sure, sure. I will, I will, I will, I will give you all the information. I want to write it down so I don't forget. Okay. But all those names, I'm going to, I'm going to give it to you. So anybody who wanted to, to click on that, I, I talk about Gigamesh and Pranauta. And I also, there's also iconic, uh, iconic publishers that are specialized in horror like Valdemar and they are they have a following and um, so there are as I said to you there are many many different small size publishers who are trying to do things that maybe big groups can't do why because a random house and etc etc and Planeta Planeta is a big uh, publisher in Spain and in in Latin America in the Americas sorry I always make a mistake in the Americas um, they uh, they publish normally translated authors they don't really uh, trust uh, locals because they think their names are not going to sell as much or very few. Okay. So the so it's the small publishing companies, the ones that are betting on the local authors and a very advanced and very avant-garde kind of projects, like I did with a very small publishing company, the first anthology of science fiction short stories written by women in Spanish in 2014 called Alucinadas, and we also did a crowdfunding to translate it into English. It was translated as Spanish Woman of Wonder. And if you remember, there was a series called Woman of Wonder with Pamela Sargent did 
Pamela Sargent edited those those anthologies that were by female authors. Uh, I think it was in the eighties. I'm not sure the the times, but we asked Pamela Sargent if we could use the Woman of Wonder in our title. We we make sure that it was okay, and they 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 she accepted. And so we had this because before before 2013, you if you asked in Spain, so who are the female authors that write science fiction in this country? Maybe you you could come up with two or three names. Now it's how many years after? Seven years after? You can say so many, so many, so many. Uh, there's so many new people coming in. There's so many people that are starting to to send their you know the drafts to the publishing companies. They're they're uh, getting nominated in in, in awards, etc., etc. That the 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 market has changed completely. Completely, it's changed a lot. And and this is because small, um, you know, some sometimes a small project uh, helps another project to be uh, to be born, and so forth, and so forth, and so forth. And that's how you make change. You know. Sometimes yeah. you don't need to change everything all at once. You you start with a little thing, and then little by little, more people coming to realize that oh, okay, our catalog doesn't have any female authors. Um, and I, this is just an example, but I think it's a, a very uh, it's a it's a good example of what, what I'm talking about. So the editors start to think, wait a minute, there's more and more female readers that are asking about female authors too. And, and also male uh, readers are asking, why, why don't you publish more? It's just a curiosity. Why? What's happening? And they are starting to it, reflect a little bit what is happening, for example, with the Yugos, right? The Yugos, in recent years, we have the fortune of seeing a lot of uh, very diff- diverse uh, nominations and 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 also winners, right? So I think it's happening in Spain, but it's happening maybe not at the same speed as in other markets, but I think it's extremely... I, I'm, I'm hoping that one day we will not have to do such a, a, such a projects where you have to you know, dedicate an anthology just to a group of authors that mm. it would be the norm to have diversity everywhere. It, this is, I think, this is what we are what, towards what we are uh, walking right now. But what I'm hearing from you, I think, what I'm not hearing, but I think I'm hearing from you, is that I think the reason now that small communities, small publishers, can do that maybe is because of social media. You can you can get enough people to follow you to make it at least you know kind of pay for itself. Yes, yes. And there's a lot of small communities. Yeah, there's, there is a lot of free cells. Free cells uh, help you to at least lift the project from the ground. Because as you know, What's sorry? Pre-sale? Free sale is like. Oh, pre sale, okay. You, yeah, you announce the book, you prepare the book, and then you're telling everybody if you buy it in advance, you can get a discount, but also you get enough. Um, Enough, enough funds to 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 start the, the, the to, to pay for the print. I mean, to, to do the basic, and then uh, hopefully the the project uh, flies. But many small publishers 
especially because in Spain, um, the tax on books is high, it's quite high. So it, it, it doesn't help the, <laughs> the market at all. They need those kind of incentives to, to be able to sometimes to take on projects. But as I said, I've seen super interesting. I, I have nothing against big, big publishers. I, they do also a great work in bringing very interesting titles, but the more audacious projects that I've seen, it's in small, medium and small publishing companies. Okay, that's amazing. I think I'm I'm going to start exploring each one of those the books you mentioned. And yeah, yeah, I will. People. I will. It's it's, and I think that now that it, we are going into like a global world of collaborations with all those, uh, like what we're doing right now. This like maybe we could always do this, but for some reason we started to do more and more because of the pandemic. Since last year, I've been in more conventions than in all my life. <laughs> so, because they are online. And I cannot tell you how many projects it started through those things and through collaborations between uh, countries, between different literary traditions. It's beautiful. It's, it's, it's something that really brings joy, the, the, how technology also has helped us in many ways. Wait, so, so let's go to one of the two books I know you worked on that really encompass things like this. The Apex book mm -hmm. uh, for science fiction. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how that process started and your overall impression of the various uh, writers and the styles and, and how they're the fact that they come from different countries has to do with, uh, uh, with the stories that they tell. Uh, can you repeat the last part? Because I, I it was like, sure. I think it's me. I'll speak closer to the, uh, uh, how, how do you think the stories that they tell have to do with the places they come from? The Apex book, <laughs> my involvement with the Apex book of, uh, world uh, speculative fiction is because of Lavi Tidar, somebody that you probably know. I, 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 I cannot tell you how much I admire him and I really, really appreciate his, for me, he's a, he doesn't know that, but <laughs> for me, I feel he's kind of like a mentor, wow. but when, when I tell him that, uh, he doesn't really like to, to he, talk. He can't really him. take compliments. No, he can't. No, I, I think it, he, I don't think he wants the responsibility. He thinks it's like oh, that I'm going to, I'm bestowing a responsibility on him or something. But I'm telling you, no, 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 you don't have to do anything. It's just like our conversations and, and, and many times that we spoke about books and about so many things, about falafel, <laughs> so many things. Uh, and somebody that I've all, it always struck me how good, how good his prose is. It's unbelievable. I think that one of the most difficult things that you can do is to write very, um, very complicated and complex uh, ideas with a very, very simple, uh, apparently simple uh, writing. So 
what he does, I know it is extremely difficult. It, it seems easy, but it is extremely difficult. One of the books that I love, I, I, can't, I recommend it to everybody. When I recommend all of his books, I think I've read all of them, but A Man Lies, uh, a man lies uh, Dreaming, Dreaming, because dreaming. Dreaming. I was thinking in the Spanish, the Spanish translation. Well, I read it in English, of course, because yeah, that's how you can really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Even though the, the the translation is really very good, I love that book. I mean, it is. I every time I read a, a fragment, I just oh, I it just it moves me so much. And some of my own writing has been very much um, influenced by by him. Even I don't know if you are familiar with his work, but he has a violent century. It's a it's a book about special kind of like agents with superpowers, with unusual superpowers. And I did another of the story with uh, also agents with the unusual superpowers. And it's because of, of, of his wonderful world building. And um, he's been always very, um, somebody who supports me in, in ways that he doesn't really, uh, I don't think he realizes. <laughs> But he's been and he's helping me a lot and always encouraging me and asking me and I don't know for me he's like a, a beacon <laughs> I I look up to him so much and because of him uh, he was uh, the one who put me in contact with uh, Jason Sizemore from Apex Magazine I worked with Jason also briefly over two years I think it was two years year and a half. Um, as an international uh, editor, so I looked for I was looking for stories for stories out of the Anglo-Saxon circuit for the magazine, and then Lavi asked me if I wanted to co-edit the Apex work, the Apex book with him, and I had a blast. I had I it was so much fun because it was there were certain rules that you had to follow, so we were in a mission. And there were four books before that were yeah. also uh, published by, edited by him, the, the first three. And I think the, the fourth was with uh, Marvesh Murad. So, um, so this one, we had to make sure. So the rule was, one of the rules was you cannot uh, repeat authors. And you have to try to look for new countries. I mean, you can repeat countries, of course, but try to look for countries that were not represented before. So we try and don't get more than two, possibly not more than one uh, uh, story per country. But if uh, if you couldn't, maybe two per country, but no. So there was those rules. So it's like, oh my God, there's those constraints that you have to, right, take it have in mind when you're and so we were digging and we we read and read and read and read the good thing about the epics book is that because they are already uh, published there's no really much uh, editing that you have to do with them the stories have been already published so it's pretty easy you you it goes through editing process but there's not much that you have to do there was only one story which was by an author spanish author is by alonso there was not previously, uh, it was not previously uh, published, uh, but it was translated into English. So, oh, oh, everything was in English. So, um, it's not uh, 
it's easy. It's not like you have to translate it or look for somebody to translate. It was already everything in English. And then you just try to have a good representation of every continent. We thought about continents. And, uh, and so I, uh, I tried to, we were trying to make it as diverse as, as we could with a good um, mix of countries and continents and also uh, both female and male. We, were, we wanted to make sure that we had the diversity. And what we were looking for was always extremely good uh, stories in the way they were crafted. Because it, uh, an idea is important, but the way you, you, you develop the idea is a must for us, or it was a must. So even though um, I think that most of the stories are very interesting in terms of ideas, what really got us was the, uh, a, the, the craft, the, the way they were crafted. And so we had, uh, we have the stories from, um, from the Americas. We have one from indigenous person from the United States, Darcy Little Badger. We had from Trinidad and Tobago, from RSA Garcia, which is something that the Caribbean started to be represented little by little, but with Canon Lord and, and, and other authors like that. But Trinidad and Tobago doesn't come into the radar very often, so we were very happy to have it. Then we had also from uh, from African countries and uh, from from Europe. I think we had some Italian and one Italian and one from Germany and, and the one from uh, from Spain. We had from the south of Asia. It was it was incredible. We I think we got a very complete uh, and, and high quality group of works so uh, working with Lavi was really a lot of fun and uh, I'm looking forward to do other projects with him like this because we I think we, we work very well <laughs> we laugh a lot <laughs> and it's always a pleasure and do you think it really is a, it's a really wide variety yeah how did you did you I, I'm trying to, to, to in the beginning uh, yeah. At least I saw. I, I began to saw the to see the process of international science fiction about twenty years ago. Yeah. Where people started saying it doesn't have to be in English. We can publish here, and then they had a problem. Like they basically tried to copy the structure of American stories and just give names of local people, but yeah. that doesn't really work. So, do you? Do you see trends, uh, or, or what kind of trends do you see of um, different societies appearing in new structures of stories in science fiction fantasy? You see, the thing is, when we talk about this, the problem I find is that we always talk about this from a very Western point of view. Mm-hmm. You have to think about, I'm sure that you know, but... Uh, for whoever out there who doesn't know, uh, in the the more the, the more you walk towards the east, the more that the uh, frontiers between science fiction and fantasy blurred. And also, it's funny because it also happens in the Americas. 
Give me an example. For example, um, in in Arab literature, there is not really such a thing as science fiction. Okay, it's something important with the colonizers that colonized this part of the world. In the Middle Ages and so forth, there was this uh, this uh, tradition of uh, exploration of uh, traveling. Uh, we have here in the United Arab Emirates the great Ibaduta, which was somebody who also like explorer. I'm sure that you know Marco Polo. Everybody knows Marco Polo, but there were all others like this, and they, when they were talking about their adventures, what they encountered, sometimes they mix uh, elements of fantasy, and sometimes even, uh, I'm not speaking uh, about Ibatuta in, in this particular uh, example, but for example, if you think about the 1001 Nights, some elements are kind of like pre-science fictional, like there's- A lot of fantasy, absolutely. Exactly. It's kind of like a mixture between, because there is, for example, stories about uh, some kind of like, I think it's a mechanical uh, horse or mechanical thing that goes into the moon or whatever. So those kind of things, it's like approach to science fiction, which they didn't even know they were doing this. It was just kind of like using their imagination, but it's very, it's very blurry. And even today, you don't, see many authors that call themselves authors of science fiction they uh, for example right now there is a, a quite amount a, a big amount of authors in the arab world that write dystopias why they write dystopias because sometimes they cannot because of censorship they cannot tackle certain certain ideas to certain certain stories and they use other things to to go around this censorship so you cannot maybe talk about what's happening with your government you can talk about an imaginary government of an imaginary country right so see i don't think that they see the difference and i think that's something that happened at least in the past in the east in china i'm not so sure about japan but in china in the southeast there's a lot of mythology that it's super rich. We only, in the Western world, we know just a little parts of it. Then their, um, their literary uh, traditions are blossom and, 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 and incorporate this into, into, into their stories. And sometimes we don't even know, is this fantasy? Is this fantasy science fiction? Is this horror fantasy? Is this, we don't even know how to cate- categorize it because it's completely different. It's like what happened with magic realism. I hate that magic realism in, in, the, in the countries of the southern part of the Americas. Why? Because what we think it is the paranormal in their culture is the norm. It is nothing paranormal about it. It's just something that they live with right. and at the daily basis. So, so when we talk about the, this, um, this limits between genres or subgenres, I think we're being a little bit Western-centric. And what I like precisely about every single, um, every single uh, 
author that I've that I've worked with when I was working in the magazine or in the Apex Group is that they completely took their myths, their beliefs, their um, uh, the, 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 their culture, and they mixed it, and they with new ideas sometimes, with ancient ideas as, uh, other times, but then they did something new. This is what I liked, and it is not what we do in and I I, I include myself. This is not what we do exactly in the in the Western world, which I'm referring to the United States, Canada, and the Europe, most of Europe. This is not what we do. We don't do we separate very clearly which one thing from another. And if we cannot put it in one bucket, we we, we get all crazy. I think it's mainly for marketing reasons, because it's difficult to sell if you don't identify something. But I don't think uh, that matters really to other cultures as much. So, and I found that beautiful. That's, that's, it's very encompassing what you said. It's, it takes the whole thing, yeah. And But it also brings into like, what you told me, for example, about the, um, the dystopian in the Arab world, Reminds me, do you know, uh, there was a playwright called Václav Havel, who also became, I think it's Hungary, but it was part of, it was a communistic uh, country under the Russian, uh, the, the, the Soviet uh, rule. And he, what he did was he wrote plays about the complete fantasies. Mm-hmm. But of course, everything symbolized uh, what he was talking about. And eventually he became uh, president. Okay. Um, but which brings the question of who who are the stories aimed at? Are the stories aimed at change in within that country? Are they aimed at fears uh, that people have? Are they aimed to the outside world? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yes. I I don't know what what's the intention of every author, but from my point of view, I think it depends on the what what part of the world we're talking about. For example, if we're talking about the the Arab countries, I think what people want is to be heard. They not necessarily they wish they could change things, but I think what they just want is to be heard, just to be heard, just to just to have their voices heard, and then whatever happens later, whatever. I don't think it goes. Into, into really, wow, we're going to create a movement and change things. They have tried. They have tried sometimes, and it hasn't really worked out that well. I think what literature brings into the, into the table for them is a way to be heard. And I've seen also that in, um, in, other, in other authors, like I can speak about Tade Thompson is... Um, it's a it's a British author, but from Nigerian descendant. And one of the things I also talk about sometimes with him, and one of the things he was telling me is that what he wanted was to write because he had a voice and he wanted to be heard. And before, you know, it was not very common to have uh, people from African countries or from African you know, parents writing, writing and publishing in any kind of 
uh, in any kind of uh, genre, but much less in science fiction, for example, right? So he refused to be told what <laughs> whether we could he could do or not. So this is what I think most of people, in, even in, in the Americas, in the south of the Americas, I see many female authors, the only thing they want to be is heard. They want to really be heard about the horrors there are encountered in the countries because it, as it happened, unfortunately, in many parts of the world, some people have to live with daily horrors. Like if you go to certain parts of America, there's like a lot of, uh, you know, unrest and problems, economical and political. So they have to live with this daily and, and go with their lives. And so it is incorporated into their into their um, into their stories. I remember a story by uh, what's her name? It's called it's it's a song story by a Cuban uh, a Cuban uh, a author who talks about zombies in Cuba, and it's just a metaphor for <laughs> what is happening, like with the regime over there. But it's a beautiful it's beautiful written. Uh, Eric. Uh, Eric Mota. Eric Mota is the, the author. I will write it down for you. And I don't remember the name of the story, but I will, I will, because I read it some time ago. And he has also some other stories, very well crafted. Cuba has a great tradition of, of, of literature also, and in particular of um, science fiction because of the relation with Russia at the time. So um, it is amazing how you can use uh, certain tropes from science fiction and fantasy to tackle social issues. Like, for example, uh, Basma Abdelaziz is an Egyptian female author who wrote The Q, it's translated into English, and it talks about the, the problems that extreme bureaucracy brings into the world. It's kind of like the process by Kafka kind of thing. It's got a, it makes me think about that. Or you can also read uh, Frankenstein in Baghdad by uh, Ahmed Sadawi, I think his, his name is. Um, and it talks about this creature being made out of parts of different people who were victims of the war in Iraq. Did you say so, parts of different people or hearts? Yeah. Parts, parts, uh -huh. like okay. this, this creature has been made out of victims. Okay. And that brings also a lot of symbolism to what it is. So it is called uh, Frankenstein back then. And not only it's been translated from Arabic into English, it's been also translated into Spanish, for example. So it's kind of, because I, I think it won an award. So see, there are certain things that are very painful, very present in those countries but they can be uh, talked about or deal with uh, through this type of literature. And I think probably in Israel it's been also like this for, for many of the traumas that, that the, the Jewish people had to face. Okay. So I have, what, what are you working on? I have so many questions for you. And I think maybe we, I'll invite you for a second time. Like in, <laughs> that's okay. That's uh, but, can you, so I'd like to, to end on, what are you working on right now? Okay. So 
uh, I'm working on many, many things. I am the editor of Supersonic Magazine, which is a magazine in Spanish. Sometimes we, in the past, we publish things also in English. We have two special issues in English that are just in English with translations from Spanish into English. We um, come out four times a year. And uh, we recently worked at a very small partnership with Tor.com in the U.S. because we translated one story. It's called Free Little Library from Naomi Gritzer. When we translated it into Spanish, we, of course, got the rights from the author and we translated it. We didn't know it was going to be nominated and awarded and everything, but that happened. Mm. So we translated it into Spanish and we offered it to Tor if they wanted to publish it also in Spanish in their own platform, in their own web page, because of the increasing number of Spanish-speaking uh, readers in, in, the, in the U.S. So this, you know, it's been very nice for us. And I've been working on a couple of uh, short stories. I, I'm, I'm, I'm in love with short stories. I think our incredible it's like the seeds of uh, the genre so i've been working on a couple of them and i'm also working on a on a on a novel called anthropology of shadows and it's about a revolution of shadows and speaking about shadows as if they were beings with their own with self-knowledge and stuff so, because I think revolutions are very important and we never have enough. So, I wanted to talk about oppressed um, op oppressed beings and, and their fight for the rights. So, that's why I came up with this and it's going well. And uh, I've been having a couple of re-editions of my novels, like the one I talked to you about from Orange to Blue and Bionauts. Bionauts won the best... Um, novel award uh, two years ago in, in Spain. It's like we have this Ignotus Award, which is like the Euro for Spain. <laughs> and so it's been re-edited uh, re, re and uh, came out in, this, in a great uh, flip book, which you can kind of use both sides. And I am working also on the re-edition of other of my soul, some of my stories, and also um, putting together a, an anthology of short stories because I have so many scattered from in many magazines and many anthologies. I want to put them all together. And the the, the last thing I I did this year, well, it was kind of like with, also with Lavi, <laughs> is this. Best of World Sensation. I have a story in here, and we can talk about this this one maybe another time because it has so many stories from around the world. They are amazing. Absolutely. Wow, the names there are not not because mine is here. I'm probably <laughs> the less known of the people, but the names are oh, wow. And it's edited by Lavi, which is for me, it's like touching the sky. It's really. Cool. That's great. I, listen, I have to bring you back in a couple of weeks, if that's okay. Okay. You're a pleasure to talk to. And it's great. So it's great. It's great. And so much thought-provoking stuff. And send me <laughs> uh, the details. I'll try to get them on to read the stuff, but also get them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. 
And thank you very much, Christina. Thank you, Guy. Thank you so much for, for, for this opportunity. And I'm looking forward to talk more with you. Thank you so much for Christina Jurado. She's fantastic and has such insight. Hopefully, we'll see her soon again on the podcast. In the meantime, check her out on the web, on Twitter. She is, I will spell it, at, at DNAZP Project. DNAZ Project. Her website is it's in Spanish, so I will spell it M A S F I C C I O N Q U E C I E N C I A dot com. Also, look in the show notes. If you, uh, it's Mass Ficción Que Ciencia, I think. Uh, I think that's how you pronounce it. And check her out for sure. It was such a fun talk, and we only got to talk uh, about some of the things I wanted to cover and so many other things popped up and I just want to invite her again. So we'll definitely, I'll definitely invite her soon for a second time in a few weeks and let other people talk also. Thank you uh, very much for listening to another episode of Evening in Powers. Next time we'll have a completely different episode. We will talk with David J. Peterson, who invents languages for a living, including for a teeny tiny program called, a uh, show called Game of Thrones. Maybe you've heard of it. We delve deep into language, like we go deep. I'm pretty sure uh, asking questions, no one has asked me a few thumb interviews uh, about understanding languages, understanding ourselves, understanding how our mind works, understanding alien languages, but other things. I'm, uh, I, I, I'm so happy to get to talk to such fascinating people that I wouldn't have talked to. Uh, uh, without this, uh, and I hope you enjoyed that as well. Uh, I love making these in powers, and there's this, there's so much more coming. So, if you want to email me with guests, see, that's a bug, I'm not editing it out. If you want to email me with guest suggestions or comments, email guy.hasson, that's a G U Y dot H A S O N, guy.hasson at geekdominpowers.com. Check out our website, geekdominpowers.com. Our Twitter and Instagram are both at geekdominpowers. No hyphens or spaces. I uh, will see you next time and have an empowered day. <laughs>